Hey everybody, this is Kevin Stanfield. You're listening to the Expedient Unto Man podcast. Welcome. The inception of this podcast um, is, is a long way coming. You know, for years, I wanted to make a... Um, a podcast about the the scriptures, about the doctrine of Christ, the the things that actually um, matter for each of us to to truly know and understand God's will, um, and return to live with Him. And with my wife Shelby. We started doing that um, about nine months ago, I think it was. And we have begun a podcast on another channel called Christ Centered Conversations. We have a weekly Book of Mormon podcast where we go through the Book of Mormon verse by verse. Um, at least chapter by chapter. And we also have a few different uh, projects on that channel. Definitely check it out. But that's different. Those are different conversations. It's it. And they are conversations. Um, Shelby and I, we sit across the table from one another. And we just talk about Jesus Christ. We talk about the Book of Mormon and the, the teachings of living and ancient prophets. This podcast isn't going to be too much different, except that there's only me, just Kevin. Um, the reason that I wanted to do something solo is that, well, you know, maybe it'll satisfy my need to ramble on about the topics uh, endlessly, And maybe that'll give a a short respite to my wife and maybe even those listeners on the Christ Center Conversations uh, podcast. Don't count on it. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to do something myself and, and that's where I've come to. So to kind of dig into what, what the purpose of this podcast is, You know, we're going to get into our first series today, but let me just kind of preface this whole thing, this whole podcast with where I received the the inspiration for the podcast name. And it's from the second book of Nephi, chapter two, verse 27, wherefore men are free according to the flesh and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. Talking about their agency, their freedom to choose, um, liberty and eternal life through Christ, who's the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the power of the devil. Okay? Now, if we dig into this 
um, this verse. You know, at first I want to I want to go to the book of Helaman, chapter fourteen, verses thirty, uh, maybe thirty-one. And now remember, remember, my brethren, that whosoever perisheth perisheth unto himself, and whosoever doeth iniquity doeth it unto himself. For behold, ye are free. Ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God hath given unto you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. He hath given unto you that you might know good from evil, and he hath given unto you that you might choose life or death. And you can choose, or excuse me, and you can do good and be restored unto that which is good, or have that which is good restored unto you. Or you can do evil and have that which is evil restored unto you. You know, picking through that, those two verses, you know, we we all possess the light of Christ. There's not a person on earth who is not taught by the spirit of God. And sometimes there are, it becomes difficult, sure, to, um, to hear that voice, the voice of the spirit, but only because we have chosen to do iniquity. So we have to get better at listening to the spirit. How do we do that? We don't do iniquity, right? But it says all things are given unto them which are expedient unto man. And expedient is, it means appropriate meat um, or the things that, that are important for us to know. Now, when does that happen, right? It could happen here on the earth. Hopefully, some people will will receive it on this podcast or go to my other podcast with my wife and you'll receive it there. Missionaries will knock on doors. They'll use the internet to contact people. Some people will be introduced by way of association with um, a member of Christ Restored Church. There are a lot of different ways that people can can be given that which is expedient for them. Nevertheless, there are some people who aren't going to receive it in this life just because of whatever reason, um, timing, location, um, timing on on a scale, right? All throughout eternity, they may fall through the cracks. Luckily, the great plan of our Father and Jesus Christ ensures that no one really falls through the cracks. Nobody's going to miss out on on the joyous doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm doing my part. That's what this podcast is about. I'm doing my part as a as a exceedingly blessed man that I should have been so lucky to receive these things which are expedient for me 
um, and just impart them to those who are willing to listen. And hopefully I can, uh, I can impart some additional wisdom and, and experience to each of you who listen. And, you know, maybe we'll learn some things together. So uh, strap in, get ready for, uh, as I describe it, I will describe it often, a deep dive into the scriptures. When I say deep dive, I, I mean, we're going to get as far in as we need to, to pull out some of the intentions um, that the prophets put into their revelations um, and their scriptural accounts. And we want to we want to know how to become like Jesus Christ, how to do the Father's will, just like he did. So enjoy. The doctor and I wish to discuss concerns the nature of man and of God. God loved his children because he has said, Behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. God will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is a prologue to a series titled Speaking with God Face-to-Face. And throughout this series, we're going to be exploring accounts of prophets all, all throughout history who had the opportunity to speak with God. And yeah, let's, let's dive in. Our story begins on a mountaintop. Enter Moses, a prophet of God. Like all prophets, Moses saw and communed with God. But this mountain was different from the one he climbed in Sinai. Sinai had been a place of instruction for Moses and all the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness. But this mountain was a school for Moses, a place where the newly called prophet would be taught the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as it was taught to Adam in his day. We read in the scriptural account that Moses was, quote, caught up into an exceedingly high mountain upon which he spoke to God face to face. God's glory was upon him, enabling him to endure the presence of the Most High. We read other accounts of mortals being transfigured so as to see God, the most notable being the phenomenal event in the New Testament when Jesus showed his own glorified self to his apostles on the mount. They also saw Moses of old, now a resurrected being 
as well as the prophet Elijah. And on this occasion, Peter, the senior apostle, received the keys of the priesthood to officiate as the president of the church following the Lord's death and resurrection and ascent into heaven. Important things happen on mountaintops. Mountains are high places away from the world and consequently closer to heaven. And therefore, we compare these ancient summits to the temple in these latter days. Note that mountains are not made holy because of their majesty, just as temples are not made holy because they are fine structures. It's the spirit of God and the connection to heaven that makes it possible to have sacred, sacred experiences. Likewise, Moses had a series of incredibly sacred experiences on this mountain. Now, I want you to think about sacred experiences that you've had. You know, not all of them are, are were easy. You know, some of the most sacred experiences that I've ever had were actually in hard spots in my life. Um, I remember one such experience that, uh, you know, I've, I've never really told, I haven't really told many people, but I was on an emergency transfer on my mission. And I, you know, we were told to pack up our stuff because we needed to be out of there. And I went up into our, our loft, which was our bedroom in this little house. And I gathered up all my stuff and I, I, I looked at my like suitcase and all my stuff and I thought I, I might as well have stuffed it all into black trash bags because it was all meaningless. That's how I felt. You know, the circumstances of the transfer were not great. Um, I, it, was a, it was a horrible experience. And... I just had, I had this realization that, that all this is just meaningless. It's just dust. But hope was able to, to find a way back in to my, my consciousness. Um, my attitude changed. I got to where I was going and things were all, were Okay. Um, but in a moment, you know, something had, had tried to convince me otherwise. I took a lot away from that experience. I took away that even in the worst of situations, God and Jesus Christ are, are right there with us, aware of us. And they are preparing a way for us to get back to a state of happiness 
even a state of everlasting happiness when we return to live with them. I know that's true. So on this mountain, Moses was taught that he was a son of God. He was told, quote, thou art a similitude of mine only begotten, end quote. And God calls Moses his son three times in this account. The number three denoting divinity in Hebrew texts. He was shown the earth and all the peoples thereon. Moses was not shown all of God's creations, for those are endless, but he was told of other creations. Now, the question that comes to my mind is why would God show Moses all the people of the earth? And I, I assume that it was to convey that these people were like Moses, children of God. I want you to think about why God would would show Moses all the people on the earth. Then, after this, uh, this vision, the glory of God receded from Moses, and the prophet was left unto himself. So, What's, what's beneficial for us when we read the scriptures is to liken it unto ourselves. And that doesn't just go, that doesn't just extend to the doctrines and the teachings, but it's the actual people. Because people uh, in the scriptures, whether they be prophets, missionaries, uh, just whoever we can we can put ourselves in their position in their point of view and we can receive greater knowledge so put yourself in Moses's shoes you've seen the living god a perfect being and he has called you his child and remember that this is not an archaic metaphor you are literally his child, and he is literally your father. And I testify that you are a child of God, as are all of us. And this is a, a unique doctrine to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, the various Christian sects certainly call God their father, but their stumbling block seems to, to be, uh, well, that's, that's just a metaphor. It's not to be taken literally. And that stops them. It prevents them from realizing that they are actually his literal children. The Lord described the Christian churches of the early 19th century when he told the prophet Joseph Smith, quote, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. I want you to think about that, right? Like, 
here's the Lord describing these people who certainly they read from the Bible. They pray to God. They believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God, um, sort of, right? They also believe that he is God. In some ways, that's true. The doctrine of the Godhead is something that we will definitely get into. But Latter-day Prophets have expounded upon this idea that we are, are actually literal children of a God in heaven. They've declared, uh, even proclaimed, that, quote, all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit, son, or daughter of heavenly parents. And as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. End quote. That's not a little thing. And it wasn't a little thing for Moses. So back to the scriptural account. Moses lies on the ground for many hours. And he processes the experience that he had. And uh, he comes to realize that he says, quote, man is nothing, end quote. That was his realization. <laughs> it kind of is kind of reminiscent of my thought at, uh, at my experience on my mission. Right. Now, this is, you know, the, the experience that I've had has just taxed me so greatly that the the minutia is just that it's just not worth my time you know it's like like all these um articles these these superficial things they're meaningless you know this this actually shows great self-awareness on the part of Moses. He's viewed the matchless splendor of the earth. He has seen the multitudes on the earth. And they're all like him with lives just as complex and emotions just as deep as his own. And he has seen the one who created it all. It is through sacred experiences that we come to know the nature of God, but that's, that's not often the first thing that comes to our mind. Generally, we're, we come to the realization of other truths that are, to us, temporal. So, for example, like those things that I was, I was getting together for my emergency transfer, that, that wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing was that I needed to exercise more faith in Jesus Christ and trust that the, the spirit was guiding me and my leaders knew what was best for me. Um, Moses 
first he he realizes like man this is crazy i i've seen all this i've seen this glorious vision i've seen god and you know the the small things the day-to-day happenings of men are relatively meaningless but that's that's not quite what Moses realized fully at the, in the end he actually had a great testimony builder and surely he was able to comprehend his worth as a child of God. President Dallin H. Oaks has taught, quote, here's the answer to one of life's great questions. Who am I? I'm a child of God with a spirit lineage to heavenly parents. That parentage defines our eternal potential. That powerful idea is a potent antidepressant. It can strengthen each of us to make righteous choices and to seek the best that is within us. Established in a mind of a person, the powerful idea that he or she is a child of God and you have given self-respect and motivation to move against the problems of life, end quote. And what happens next shows us how much of an impact this glorious paternity test had on Moses. I want to use a quote from Elder Jeffrey R. Holland's talk uh, titled, Cast Not Away Thy Confidence. I want to use it as kind of a transition to get through some verses. Uh, And he says it so wonderfully. Quote, what happens to Moses next after his revelatory moment would be ludicrous if it were not so true, uh, excuse me, not so dangerous and so true to form. Lucifer, in an effort to continue his opposition, in his unfailing effort to get his licks in later, if not sooner, appears and shouts in equal portions of anger and petulance after God has revealed himself to the prophet, saying, Moses worship me, but Moses is not having it. He has just seen the real thing, and by comparison, this sort of performance is pretty dismal. End quote. Moses reasons that this imposter is not God because he was unable to look upon God with his natural eyes. He asks, Where is thy glory that I should worship thee? Because of his experience with God, Moses knew him. And he knew himself. He was a son of God in the similitude of the only begotten. And if he was a son of God, then God was his father. But that wasn't all Moses knew. He also knew the kind of relationship a child has with its father. They are reared from infancy and taught in their youth and made heirs to all that the father hath. This is a discourse uh, given by the first presidency uh, in the early 1900s. It says, quote, man 
is the child of God, formed in the divine image and endowed with divine attributes. And even as the infant son of an earthly father and mother is capable in due time of becoming a man, so the undeveloped offspring of celestial parentage is capable by experience through ages and eons of evolving into a God, end quote. So we see that the, the unique doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we are literally sons and daughters of God, starts to free up tired old traditions of man being um, the resultant uh, outcome of primordial ooze that we evolved from waterborne organisms. When we separate ourselves from God in any way, if we place preconceived notions of the world between him and us, we're actually substituting the gospel of Jesus Christ, or rather we're substituting something for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel, it's what brings peace and consolation in this very difficult life on earth. Some people choose to put science there, the theories of men, um, well-examined points, and they say, that gives me comfort. That makes sense. And then they can go along with their life, and um, they choose their own path really based on their emotions, their natural man. But if you put Jesus Christ between you and God, you see that it aligns perfectly because Jesus Christ is like unto the Father in every way. We know that he is the firstborn of the Father. We know that he was with him from the beginning. We even know that he is the express image. He was, he's the express image of God. So when Christ appears to man... They're also seeing the Father. And when Christ teaches men to look and follow the Father, or rather to follow Him, it's all the same. They are one in everything that they do. And everything that they do is an effort to 
bring all of us, the children of God, back to his presence. So, Moses, calling upon God and his only begotten, commands the devil to depart, and he does. Knowledge is power. When we receive more knowledge from God by way of experiences with him and his Holy Spirit, we are able to resist the fleeting temptations of the world. Now, something happens next in this scriptural account that we could easily read past. After Satan is compelled to depart, Moses, quote, lifted up his eyes to heaven, being filled with the Holy Ghost, end quote. His experience resulted in a stronger testimony, and the Holy Ghost bore record of the Father and the Son, as it always does. And Moses then calls upon God and sees him again. So let's backtrack. Moses is caught up in vision and sees God, presumably for the first time. He heard him in the burning bush, but this is the real deal. Think about it. Moses sees that God is like a man, or excuse me, is a man like himself, and now knows for a surety that he was created in God's image. God again confirms that Moses has been chosen. And this is not the first time that God tells Moses of his mission to liberate the people of Israel. They're currently enslaved in Egypt, and he's to go unto Pharaoh. All of his insecurities and doubts have already been resolved. Quote, certainly I will be with thee, the Lord told him, out of the burning bush. And again on this mount, and lo, I am with thee, even unto the end of thy days. He's an, he's an empowered servant of God with a work to do. But how are men and women chosen by God? And you have to be a prophet to be considered chosen. Now remember that the people of Israel are a chosen people. They always have been. And uh, that leads to the question, are there unchosen people? Brothers and sisters, to be or to become chosen is not an exclusive status conferred upon us. Rather, you and I ultimately determine if we are chosen. Please now note the use of the word chosen in the following verses from the Doctrine and Covenants. Behold, there are many called, but few are chosen. And why are they not chosen? Because their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men. I believe the implication of these verses is quite straightforward. God does not have a list of favorites to which we must hope our names will someday be added. He does not limit the chosen to a restricted few. Rather, it is our hearts and our aspirations and our obedience which definitively determine whether we are counted as one of God's chosen.
And that was Elder Bednar speaking, I believe it was in 2005, uh, April General Conference, in a talk uh, titled The Tender Mercies of the Lord. You know, one thought about the children of Israel, you know, they're a chosen people, right? The children of Israel were not always obedient. You know, they they had some falling out. They stepped off the path. You know, Israel always falls short. And that's that's the nature of the fallen man. But Israel actually means to wrestle with God. Apparently, that that word wrestle is more close to embrace, to embrace God. And... That's that's what Israel and we, as the people, the Lord's chosen people, that's what we do. We we try to embrace Him. We try to forget ourselves. So Moses was chosen because he was willing to do whatsoever thing. The Lord God commanded him. And because of his willingness, he magnified every calling he received. He was obedient. Now, Moses is shown again the whole earth. And this time, he asks, in essence, why did you make all of this? He perceived by the Spirit all the lands and peoples of different lands. He saw what I call the thresher of life. Quote, there was not a particle of it which he did not behold, end quote. So I assume he saw everything from kings on thrones to tardigrades, right? I know everyone has looked at the wide world and wondered about our place in it. We wonder at the cosmic implications of it all. We're life on one world in a vast universe of endless worlds, stars, dust, and immense space in between. To me, this account denotes that Moses saw, you know, all that he saw was not pure and good. There were there were issues, there were challenges, and there were things that were hard to understand. You know, why the, the world, both, you know, on both ends of the spectrum, you know, kings on thrones, as I mentioned, you know, can be uh, dictators. Tyrants, 
And on the microscopic scale, you know, there's bacteria and viruses and and just, like I said, this thresher of life. So he's come to the realization that man is nothing in comparison to God and his infinite glory. And if he has trouble comprehending the single creation, how could he possibly grasp the scope of, in, of worlds without end? So God does something next, and he teaches Moses about the creation. Uh, he's going to tell an account similar, very similar to the one that we have in Genesis. But, you know, knowing that Moses has seen these things and, and maybe has had some concerns, uh, he, he's, there are some mysteries of God that he's certainly willing to learn, but he's not learned them all. God prefaces his telling and teaching of the creation um, by revealing his purpose for even creating the earth and establishing man on it. Quote, For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. <laughs> 